Rosie and Bill Show wish to thank our primary sponsors, The Mallon Agency, located in Springfield, PA, where they take pride in exceeding expectations every time. Anthony DiCecco and our friends at Tennis Addiction are ready to serve all your tennis needs at their beautiful facility in Exton, PA. Women are easy to tell if they're crazy. You can tell if a woman's crazy in direct proportion to her eyebrows. Yeah, the thinner the eyebrow, the crazier the broad. My mother-in-law shaves hers off and draws them back on and she's planet bananas, okay? Welcome everyone to the Rosie and Bill Show. Folks, to say we're excited about our guest this week, well, that would probably be the understatement of the year. She burst onto the scene as a finalist and last comic standing. Her comedy specials are among the most watched and widely acclaimed of the last 20 years. And she's been performing to sold out crowds for decades. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show, a world-class comedian who always finds the funny, Tammy Pescatelli. Tammy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Wow, um, I, I didn't realize I'm that accomplished. I should quit at this point. <laughs> Get out while you're ahead. Yes. <laughs> Tammy, you and I both grew up in Italian households. Yes. Could there be a better breeding ground for a stand-up co comedian than that? Well, I have to tell you, too, like, people don't understand. We didn't really... Italian households don't necessarily grow up with laughter. It's all misery. Everything's <laughs> miserable. They're all miserable. Don't say this because you can't give too many compliments because someone's going to make the maloik and you got to make the sign of the cross because God forbid and and who's you skeeve. But it's what's funny is when we would get together for all of those things all of those bad things all of the good things all of the family dynamics then you just see the characters emerge. And if you have the right eye for it, it's a lot of fun. That's true. There, there, You do have to be an observer and pay attention. Were your parents yellers? Like, because it, it seems to me that a lot of Italian families seem to talk just a notch above everyone else. So yeah, the yellers. Like I mean, you. completely. They're all yellers. As a matter <laughs> of fact, we... I'll never forget when I moved into this small town with my husband who, you know, I'm hundred percent Sicilian. He's first generation Italian from Brooklyn. We were like talking and someone we're in a small little town in Pennsylvania. Someone called the police on us. And we we're like, Hey, this is just how we talk. Like we're just loud. Like it's not, please, you know, there's nothing going on. We're just loud. That is so true. I mean, people say that to me, why are you yelling? I'm like, I'm, it's just the way I talk. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to whisper. Yeah, I'm curious. I don't know how I got loud. I grew up in a Scandinavian household, and we're not known for our yelling or anything. But, Tammy, I, I do have to say one thing. though. I am a little bit jealous since I didn't grow up in an Italian household. I didn't have a Nona who, if I got up at 2.30 in the morning, would make my bed and make me some food. So <laughs> well, you're kind of lucky then. You're kind of lucky because the, you could never please her. She would. God bless that woman. She may she rest in peace, but you could never please her. She was never uh, nothing. Nothing impressed her. Literally, I'll never forget. I called. I had just done the Tonight Show. It was the first thing I'd ever been on television. And I was like, Nona, did you see? She goes, mm, I know, I know watch, but OK. <laughs> 
And it just deflated it, right? But you got to put it in perspective. That's not important to them, you know? I mean, I was the dummy to call to ask her if she saw it. That's my fault. I should know better. Like it, that's one of the things when I went, I went to therapy when I finally got health insurance through SAG, what not because of major trauma, just to like unburden myself from the guilt that my family had put on me for all those years. Like that was my fault. I, if I was expecting, what was I expecting her to all of a sudden change? She still never respected me until the day she died because I didn't cook. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, she loved me, but she didn't understand a woman who didn't get married at 18 years old, have babies and cook, like, you know. When did you discover that you had a knack for making people laugh? You know, my father was uh, a semi-professional football player. He went on to be a coach. He was very, sports were really important in our household. So my brothers got stronger and faster. Like we used to, fight we used to play football I used to keep up with them and then when we got to a certain age they just got stronger and faster but they could never outrun my mouth so uh, (laughs) you know I mean that's that I literally had to figure out how to use my powers for good because I have the ability to say things that sit in those places of your mind that expand and expand and expand and crack their brains I feel like I broke my brother to do to do were you the funny gal in school too? No. Did that transfer there? No, no. Uh, sarcastic, um, but not, no, I wasn't the funny one. I, I, I would say something like, I guess I was funnier than I thought because people will now tell me, I remember when you said this, this or that, but no, it, in school, even that, I didn't think I loved stand up, but I didn't, I didn't see women really that were, identifiable for me if you saw a female stand-up when I was a kid you saw Phyllis Diller or Joan Rivers who were amazing or even Roseanne or Paula Pounds but talking about their husbands and their facelifts and their kids which is exactly where I am now in my career but (laughs) um you know I didn't so I didn't know that was for me it kind of happened you know I went to college I have a degree in fashion design and it kind of just all happened by circumstance, I was supposed to, uh, I was supposed to marry my high school boyfriend and that didn't happen. And my parents had moved while I was away at college. So I thought, well, I'm going to hang out with them for the summer, then make my way into New York with my fashion degree. And there was a comedy club. I thought I'll see some funny comics. I'll make a little money. And when you're like 21 years old, there's no, it's hard to move to a new town without a circle, a social circle. So I thought I'll make a few friends and they had an open mic night. Um, and yeah, I, I decided that I was going to try it and that was it. I was bit. Wow. What comedy club was it? Do you remember? Of course the funny bone and they were a national chain. So then I moved back to Cleveland where my, I was originally from and that funny bone chain was also owned by the improvs. And the, that man, I became the house MC at the improv there and then worked my way all the way around through all the clubs. They owned like 34, 35 clubs. Wow. So yeah, it was fun. Did you kind of like make the announcement to your family that you were going to now pursue this career path? Uh, well, so I, I have been blessed to have opportunities sometimes, but I have to work really hard to stay in those positions. There was an open mic night 
that was sponsored by a radio station. That radio station asked me to come in to fill in on the morning show because their DJ was going on vacation, like within three weeks of me doing an open mic within a month from then I became, it became part of the, I became part of the show. Then it became my show within a year. And then a year after that, I quit. So went on the road full time. So yes, they were shocked when I said I was going to be a comic because all of a sudden I'm now a host of a morning radio show, a popular radio show, and no one could believe that I would just quit and leave it. But I wanted to go see the world because I was, I literally was bringing these comics in every Friday morning and interviewing them and picking their brain. And then thank goodness, because so many of those guys helped me. Well, you must've really been done well at your open mic for them to invite you after three weeks onto a morning radio show. That's pretty impressive. I think I did well because I was confident and don't forget there weren't a lot of women in this business, funny women. I, I what, whatever degree that is, that is, but also young, I was young and I didn't, I didn't look like what they thought a female comic was supposed to look like, even though I tried very hard. I did. I tried to bush my hair out and put a vest on. And I tried to look as much like Elaine from Seinfeld as possible. <laughs> Let's fast forward to last comic standing because you did quite well. You went up against. That was 10 years later though. I mean, it was 10, 10 wow. years. It took I was not fast. It was not overnight. I worked every step of the way, staying in condos, which is now the inspiration for my new podcast, The Cop and the Comedian, a true friendship crime podcast, because I do it with my friend, Laura, who also became a cop. And that in between, in those 10 years, I'm staying in these condos with these guys that I don't even know, which condos are just apartments. And one of them was Vince Champ, Star Search winner and serial rapist. So there was a lot for me to have to deal with as a, as a young girl to get to there before I ever stepped foot on anybody's television, I had to go through an awful lot. Wow. That's crazy. A serial rapist. Yeah. And I couldn't complain. I mean, he made me, it was creepy and I, I, but I couldn't complain. I didn't know that he was a rapist. That was a whole thing we found out later, but um, you know, you can't complain about sexual harassment back then because it had just fired me. Um, so it was a lot of steps that not besides the fact that I'm trying to be funny, like I'm trying to grab my act together. I'm trying to figure out what kind of life clubs are Tuesday through Sunday, trying to figure it all out. So yeah, it was crazy. You know, a lot of people don't realize sometimes that whether it's a comedian or a musician, a singer, sometimes overnight sensations take 15 to 20 years to come to fruition. Yeah, it, especially back then, because they kept saying it, it's so different than the now. Back then, you had to be fully formed before anybody would look at you, before Hollywood would look at you. They would say, you have to find your voice. Now, if that took you two years, fine. But for me, it took all that time. Um, so, you know, now they put a 30-second video up and it hits a viral and they have a Netflix deal. So it's it's a different thing. Yeah, I, I was going to say, Bill and I were talking about this before you signed on. And, you know, we were wondering, were the challenges greater for you being a woman in stand-up comedy? 
for sure then. And even now it's a different thing now for sure then, because I wasn't taken seriously. And I had to, I had to make big decisions all the time. I mean, I was offered funny women of playboy that would have really changed financially for me at the time they were offering more than I made for the entire year. Um, cause obviously the pay wasn't, wasn't, uh, the same as guys, but it just wasn't good for anybody back then if you were coming up. So regardless, um, I had to make a decision. Is that something that moves my career forward? Besides the fact that my family, I would have embarrassed my father and my brothers at the time. I didn't want to have to stay in a condo with guys who had seen me naked. I already felt a little bit out of sorts. And I just tried, I was just trying to be a comic, not a female comic. Right. So that was something I had to pass where it could have really helped me. And it, and it did help the girls that did it, the Margaret Cho and, and Felicia Michaels, and they looked great and God bless them. That was amazing for them. It just wasn't my path. And then now on the flip side of it, women are doing great, but it's very hard for women my age. Like I just was told by a major streaming service that they're not interested in my demographic. So what do you do? You know, I mean, it's, it's a weird somewhere. It was really hard in the beginning and then now it's really hard too, but they, how did I miss it? Like I missed the, when it was easy to be a woman days, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not, not sure it was just, ever. <laughs> yeah. I, Tammy, I, I have to say that's, it's, that really strikes me that you said that because we recently had Karen Mills on the show and Karen was saying that, you know, her and, and Leanne Morgan, they've been touring and selling out places the last couple of years. And one of the things that they were told was that they're speaking to a demographic that didn't have anyone to really speak to them before. And that's women over 40. Yes. But see, there is my problem. And they are amazing, Leanne and Karen. But I sell tickets 50-50 to men and women. I'm a, I'm split down the middle. You can take a look at my Facebook page and think it's right in the middle. So, which is really such a blessing because like couples will come see me. A guy can get tickets to come see me and his wife doesn't wonder why, or a woman will get it. And a guy doesn't go, Oh my God, do I have to, or at least no one tells me that. <laughs> if I do. But so I don't, I don't just speak to women. So it's a really hard, I love what Leanne and Karen are doing. And Leanne's a very, very good friend. So I'm super excited for her success, but yeah, they're doing shows for these women and I, it, it's crushing it. I, I just never, I never just zoomed in on women and that, thank goodness I didn't cause I'd have to be competing with that and they're monsters right now. Hmm. Well, one thing, Tammy, that you do incredibly well, and, and to me, it's it's what really makes your comedy so special is the relatability of it. And I know you've described yourself as an observationist, and I think that's what leads to the, the relatability of your comedy. But I'm curious as to how do your observations evolve into material? What, what is your writing process like? You know, it's weird because it's kind of like I... I, I I was telling my friend, Laura, who does the podcast with me, she's a cop and she sees things different. Like she sees things like a cop sees things, right? Like she looks around and she's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, you think that guy's doing something, right? And she's like, yeah. how do you know? I'm like, I can tell. It's like, basically you're lifting your leg up. I can tell. As a comic, I see things differently as well. 
And I think it's just how, you know, we perceive the world. I'm always searching again. That's why I called that special finding the funny. I'm always searching for what's funny in the situation. What is the thought process? What makes someone do that? You know, the wise, even though the wise are usually because they're crazy. That's usually <laughs> why, but yeah. Especially if they have thin eyebrows. All of it, all of it. There's so many signs now. There's so many signs of the crazy. I just, is so funny. And no matter what you say, there will be someone afterwards who comes up to you and tells you about someone who has it or has it themselves. Like I just did this whole bit about how, um, and it's true because it was based on a true story. That's what happens now. I just live my life and then I report on it. And I got picked up, um, for an Uber in Des Moines by uh, a woman who was very nice, but her back window had probably about 47 stuffed animals in the back of it. <laughs> and I just, and sure enough, the conversation was a little bit off. It just, it's all words. <laughs> and, and, and my luggage smelled like cat pee when we got it out. Like there was just I, like, I knew something was going to happen. So it just is what it is. Well, you know, earlier, Tammy, you talked about what kind of a life do I want for myself? You know, when you were trying to figure all of that out and mm -hmm. you're married and you have a family, mm -hmm. it's hard to find the balance. How did you kind of adjust to make room for everything? Well, I, I didn't really have time. It just kind of all became, it all was thrust upon me at once. I'm very blessed. My husband, Luca, gets it. He was a paid regular at the comedy store. He's a comedian in his own right. When I got pregnant, he was able to go with me. He just doesn't like to go on the road like we do. Like uh, his buddies with Sebastian and Brett Ernst. And the, like they, they used to do their own little things together. I used to call it, uh, forgive me if you have to bleep it out, but Wapapalooza. Um, but they... Uh, you know, he gets it. He was an actor. Uh, he got cast a lot. And so he gets this. That helped. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we found each other. I was 35 when we started dating. And I think that was the good part is that I was fully formed and functional. I don't think I was a good partner to anybody prior to that. I had had a little bit of success. I had had a, a little bit of therapy. Health insurance makes a big difference. Um, and also dental. Um, and then, you know, we were together for a couple of years and then we got pregnant and even though we were already engaged that, that kind of shook the dynamic a little bit. We didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And I just said, this kid didn't ask for this. Like it's bad enough that his mother's going to have to travel to take care of us. He, I can't be, have him in LA where, I have to be worried about, you know, you, if I don't speak the same language as someone, unfortunately, they need to, I have to learn in every language how to say, if you hurt my kid, I'll kill you. And that's, <laughs> so, you know, I had to take them and keep them safe. I know that, that Luca inspires some of your comedy. Does he ever get involved in the writing process with you? Oh, well, he tried. No, yes. And no. <laughs> He'll say, you should say this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, I'm not going to say that because it doesn't make sense. But, you know, he he gets, he really does get it. Um, he was one of Mitzi Shore's favorite comics. 
at the store. So it's funny. I, I had made a pact that I would never date a comic because I didn't want anybody to think that's why I got ahead. And I didn't meet him at the comedy store, although I knew his name from there. I met him through this random group of girls that lived in my apartment building. It was just a very bizarre. Uh, it's what keeps you together when you have two separate groups of friends trying to set you up in a city of 10 million people. When things are tough, you have to remember those kind of things, you know. But yes, he is the subject of a lot of my material. And people say to me, well, how come you talk about him so much? And I'm like, because if he wants me to not talk about him, then he can pay for our mortgage. You know, <laughs> like he can, I will shut up. You can pay me to shut up. <laughs> well, that seems totally reasonable to me. Uh, now, <laughs> Tammy, I had one last question with regard to the writing and your material. And because of the amount of time that you've been doing this, have you had to make any changes at all to to how you write or the material that you write because of the way the world's kind of changed, especially over the last few years? Well, sure. But I think those changes were instinctual in me as a person, you know, because you don't say certain things, you know, I mean, um, you know, I might call him the hot kid from the slow class, but, you know, in the old days, there were different words and things that we would say. I mean, I never said any any inflammatory racial words that was never that's never been in my vocabulary so that would never have to change there's never been any anything it's just not who I am um I've always been an ally and an advocate person so that didn't have to change sensitivity levels on something sure because I don't I'm not in the business of hurting people I want to make people laugh but then also no <laughs> because I'm not changing who I am if I because I know my intent. I know I'm not writing it with an evil heart. I know I'm only writing it to make someone laugh. So if that's what you interpret, which is very funny because I do this whole joke in my act now that you'll see if you come to the show in January and it's it's not been in any specials yet. So it'll be in the next special that we film. But that kind of explains I'll do this joke. I don't know. I can't I don't know how exactly how I can tell you this, but I do a joke and I immediately pause and go, this is why the reaction is like it is. And I separate it because people put their lives into our jokes now. So instead of just hearing a comic tell a joke, nobody ever tried to go, oh, I can relate to Don Rickles or this or that. They try to stick their lives because of social media. They're sticking themselves into our jokes so they feel offended or they feel protected or they feel, oh yeah, you got it. And really you're just supposed to sit back and let me tell you about my crazy life, right? Like you weren't there when it actually happened. So you really don't have a role in this other than to just laugh or not, so. Well, not only that, Tammy, but you also, in, in some of your routines, you, you kind of provide like public service announcements, like. You know, four out of five women don't want to see pictures of a male body part. Uh, you know, you help people identify the crazy. I mean, those are valuable services you're providing to your audience. I forgot all about that. That's from, yeah, that's from Finding the Funny. That's not yeah. way after school special. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, thank you. Uh, I don't know. It's, look, I mean, I have a fountain of advice. What do you want? We're in the whole thing right now where, Listen, I know that the world doesn't slut shame. I get that. But we still slut shame in this house. I have a 15-year-old son. Don't bring me a girl in a bikini top and booty shorts. 
first time she meets me. Okay. I'll put a poncho on her. Sorry. <laughs> works. I'm not changing. There's some things that it's there for a reason. It's about who respects themselves and don't tell me it's fashion. Cause I spent four years in the fashion design school <laughs> and it took me 27 years basically to pay it off. Right. Tammy quick, just for, before we close the show, what's the craziest thing that happened to you on stage? Well, I did have a woman way before all this other crazy stuff uh, got upset over something I said she wasn't paying attention. And then I went to talk to her and she was she wasn't she was on her phone. And this was in Jacksonville, Florida, and it was in 2010. And she not only threw her wine on me, but threw the whole glass and it bounced off because she was right in the front and it bounced off and cracked and cut me. And I was there like Carrie with red wine. And speaking of USO tours, there was a whole group of Marines that came at her. And there was another group of young women that I'd made friends with on the stage. They were all coming to get this woman. I had to save her. Um, and then when the cops came, because she didn't want to leave, um, they blamed me. Uh, they said, what did you say to her? And it became a huge, huge talking point on, you know, from Howard Stern to The View to everything. And that's so yeah, comics have been getting attacked long before Will Smith decided to jump on stage. Wow, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, I get the Marines came to your defense, though. That's that's good. It was awesome. It was that that was nice to hear. And it was once we got it figured out. But it was it was really funny. It let me know that I'm really just up there on my own. So from that point on, like, you know, I think it every step of the way when when I found out that one of the comics I'm staying in a condo with is a serial rapist. Then I became more aware of my physical person and watched myself more, right? Watched my steps. When you guys listen to all these crime podcasts and stuff, you wonder how anybody made it through. Well, I was the person who was, you know, getting her gas and not paying for it at two o'clock in the morning. So when I went to the restroom, they would watch me thinking that I was trying to skip out on paying gas when really I just want to make sure I wasn't kidnapped. Um, and then, you know, when that happens, when I'm on stage and someone's violent like that, you realize that you gotta always have exit strategies. And maybe we just need to call this straight out. Like after the Will Smith thing, I just started saying, you know, listen, if you want to run up on stage, I would love to hit someone for free. <laughs> like life is not exactly <laughs> turned out the way I thought. Like, so let's just go. You want to go? We Come on, like be but be ready because I'm I'm old and I'm determined. <laughs> oh, it's a sad state of the world. Oh my goodness, that you even have to worry about that. The comics. That's the hardest part. That's what I really and you know, people always say to me, like, what's advice for young comics? Well, first of all, nothing beats ten thousand hours. You gotta get on stage and you have to do it because I've seen these huge internet superstars who I think there's room for everybody. A lot of people have a lot of um, angst and, and a lot of um, anger or jealousy towards them that are in my business. I don't, I think that they're great about, they'll give the venue money. Um, they'll give the wait staff money. They'll give everybody, they'll keep it in business, but you can't expect them to sell tickets two, three, 20 years because they may not have enough even for that first year. And you can only trick the public out of their money once you know right right you know that's not the first time we've heard that actually other comedians have 
echoed your sentiments about that, you know, that you really do need to put in the time. And just because someone is funny and they went viral doesn't mean they can sustain that for an act. Yeah, but, and maybe they can. I actually really love what's happening because it put the pressure, it took the pressure off of comics like me to immediately come back and sell tickets because originally prior to 2020, I was like having one of the greatest years of my life like we had these theaters sold out months before we went there I, it was going to be a changing year and then when we started to come back my goodness forget it because a lot of my demographic was was in the death demographic <laughs> like we didn't want to go out like you know you don't want to you don't want to leave the house right right well gosh tammy thank you so much for coming and talking to us and we look forward to seeing your show in january Thank you. And don't forget my specials are on Prime, Finding the Funny and the Way After School special. And The Cop and the Comedian is available. It's a podcast. It's available. And by the way, we're not, we don't joke about crime. We joke with each other and our our di uh, our dynamic, but you know, the crime stands on its own. So right. Well, wish you all the best with that. And thank you for coming on the show. And folks, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. It's a different time. If you had that station wagon, it was really the best as a kid because your parents couldn't see you, so you could do whatever the hell you wanted. You would pretend to be kidnapped in the back seat. No one cares. <laughs> You'd be in the back. And you know people had a sense of humor back then. Because what do other drivers do? Nothing. That's nothing. Maybe honk the horn, make a face at your parents. Nowadays, let's see if people have a sense of humor. Tomorrow, when you're not doing anything, see if you got a kid. Make them pretend to be kidnapped in the backseat of your car. Just for fun. Please, there'd be choppers and flares and Nancy Grace at the exit. <laughs> I love Nancy Grace. I do. I, I love her. I wish I was her friend because she needs a friend. No, she does. She really does. Because if she had, she has no good girlfriends. I know she has no good girlfriends. You know how I know? Because I'm a good girlfriend. And I know that she has no good girlfriends because if she had one good female friend, they'd tell her, you shouldn't wear that little baby barrette right here. No one's going to take you seriously as an attorney, really. It's not going to work out with the butterfly right there. It's purple and plastic. Please take it off. This week's episode has been brought to you by Doherty & Company Insurance Services for all your business and personal insurance needs. Our friends at Tennis Addiction in Exton, PA. And the Malin Agency, where exceeding expectations is how they do business. Interested in becoming a partner in positivity? Send us an email, rosieandbillshow2018 at gmail.com.